News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to the third episode of the Luke Macias Show. Uh, I am Luke Macias, and I'm joined by my co-host, Raz Schaefer. Raz, thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Yeah, so uh, we are going to get into our uh, conversation today, which is with the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Raz, you've had a chance to listen to that conversation. I was uh, really excited that the chairman decided to, to sit down with us and have a conversation. What, what were some of your big takeaways from it? You know, there are three things that I really want to make sure that listeners are, are keeping their ears out for. The first was how he's talking about how Texas is preparing with the Republican Party for 2020. Um you know, Luke, you and I, from being involved in politics, are big on ground game, having face-to-face, person-to-person conversation with voters. And in the past, the Republican Party of Texas pretty much given the top of the ticket, whoever the, the statewides are. Uh, it's on them to build a ground game and make sure we're talking, communicating with voters. And uh, I think in something that I'm really excited about, Chairman Dickey is working to make sure that the Republican Party of Texas has a strong ground game that they're organizing and working through. So that's really exciting to me with the number of field staff looking to bring on. Uh, that's that's going to have a big impact. Yeah. Second was that after in the when he was reelected uh, in the convention fight about that, there was uh, there was a lot of accusations thrown around that were uh, that you and I, we believe were without base and, uh, and there was no evidence of, but going out of that, they did a great job of asking for an independent audit to make sure to, that there was, those are totally put to bed. And it turns out they were all false demonstrably. Uh, so it's great to have. Some- and if you're not, I mean, if, if you're not a state GOP delegate, which some of our listeners are not, you know, at the last state convention, there were some accusations made. You'll hear about this in the interview with the chairman. And, um, and, you know, he took, a lot of, he put a lot of effort into getting to the bottom of those and bringing those out. And so it's just, it was good to kind of bring that to the surface, bring it to light, clear the air on that issue. On the ground game, I think it's interesting that, um, and, and I think you and I would both agree that we're hoping that statewide candidates in Texas no longer cede the ground game just to, to one campaign. And really, the reality is that they, they said, for the large part, Greg Abbott's going to bring the ground game home and that's what's going to happen, you know, and then Beto carried the Democrats and, and, and Beto had a significantly larger, more aggressive ground game than our governor. And that's not to blame Governor Abbott. It's to recognize the fact that he was the only one even doing anything. You know, United States Senator Ted Cruz, Dan Patrick, Ken Paxton, none of these people even had individuals on the ground working in the neighborhoods. And at some point, conservatives and Republicans are going to have to wake up and recognize that they have to get into the granular level, into the neighborhoods within each of these competitive counties and really start to build um, data driven by the information on the ground. So it was really exciting to hear that the Republican Party is saying, hey, we're going to start leading the effort to, to drive that home. The third point was uh, talking about his legislative involvement. And that's an area where yes. that's really been missing, I think, for a long, long time in the Texas Republican Party. And what, what he's doing is he's not... He's not being a lone ranger or Rambo with this stuff and just pushing his own policy yep. agenda. He's saying yep. these are the things that the members of the Texas Republican Party have said are important, and we're yep. going to just remind our legislators about those, and we're going to work in a coalition manner to make sure that things that the Republican Party says are important, that as representatives of the Republican Party and the people of Texas, that you guys are paying attention to, which is, <laughs> it shouldn't be groundbreaking, but it's, it's new and it's yep. exciting to those of us that have been involved in those fights for a long time. 
I agree. At the start of the interview, it's just always fun to hear uh, that, you know, in 2007, James Dickey wasn't even involved in the political process. And in 2008, he decided to attend a precinct convention. And 10 years later, you know, he's the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. I think that does speak to the grassroots nature of the party and just how quickly somebody can rise in the ranks. So that's an encouraging thing. Real quick, Raz, we're going to get straight to that conversation with Chairman Dickey. I do want to remind everybody who is sponsoring this show, uh, an organization that's near and dear to your heart and mine, which is Patriot Academy. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out more information about them. But this is a leadership institute. Um, students 16 to 25 have, have an opportunity to come into the Capitol here in Texas and across the nation in other state capitals and play the role of a legislator for a week. And again, these are you know juniors and seniors and high school, college students, graduate students who are coming in and engaging in the political process, discussing actual laws, debating the actual policies, and at the same time having chances to hear from some of the best speakers in the world, um, including people like David Barton and, and getting talks by economics professors about free market economic principles and things like that. So just a phenomenal deal. I know you uh, attended Patriot Academy and you and I have both mentored. So what are some of your big takeaways from the work that they're doing? I really can't overemphasize the impact that attending Patriot Academy as a student had on on my development. It, it did so much. I mean, getting to be literally on the House floor in the Texas Capitol, speaking, debating these bills, running through the entire process from drafting a bill, bringing drafted bills, debating those, moving them through that process, and then getting bills passed and debating those things on the floor, it's it's a phenomenal experience. And Rick and his entire yeah. team, your dad helps us run the Torch Freedom Foundation, which runs that. Uh, we're talking about people who have been legislators. They know how this stuff works. They've studied the Constitution, and they have a real heart for actually mentoring these young people. And, and let's not forget about the veterans track. They're actually, they actually have a separate track where they're bringing military and law enforcement veterans that are interested in increasing their uh, their political impact, that they can go through this as, as somebody that's outside that 16 to 25-year-old range and increase mm -hmm. their understanding and their future impact as well, which I've got to mentor that track for a couple of years now, and I'm, I'm thoroughly excited about the potential that has to get some really awesome people that have dedicated themselves to our country into the political process in a new way. And you and I are all about building the next team and the next round of, of activists and the next round of staff and campaign staff and legislative staff. And, and what we've seen is, you know, we're, we have witnessed numerous different individuals who had no real intention of making an impact politically with their life. That was not on their, that was not on their path. That was not their life purpose. And they came to a single Patriot Academy and were so enthused that they came back to a Patriot Academy and then said, what can I do? And they were running campaigns and they're working in the Capitol. There are chiefs of staff in the legislature that were started out as Patriot Academy students. There are people who are heads of communication at statewide nonprofits that were Patriot Academy students that had no intention of being involved in the political process until they went to a Patriot Academy. So I think it's a phenomenal opportunity, but it's also one of those, I mean, fundamentally life-shaping weeks that students will come into and it will change the trajectory of the things they're involved in for the rest of their life. So, well, and, uh, and one no, thing to remember for folks that are outside of Texas, hopefully got some, we got more and more listeners out there is, you know, as we've had people like Erickson and Shapiro and Glenn Beck sharing some of these first couple episodes. And, and one thing yep. to remind you guys outside of Texas is the Texas Patriot Academy is the biggest and being a Texan, I think it's the best, but there are a, a number of other state-based 
air, uh, Patriot Academies that you mm-hmm. can go to. So make sure you go to patriotacademy.com, look at the list and the schedule, those different academies they're doing throughout the country, and, and find one. It's something where if you're a student, you should go. If you're a veteran, look at going. If you're somebody who, who wants to help younger people get involved and help uh, still push this out to get to more and more people, yeah. you can donate, you can sponsor, you can create scholarships. I mean, there whatever your involvement yeah. level is, there's an opportunity here, and it's going to make an impact. Absolutely. Well, um, with no further ado, let's get right into our conversation with James Dickey, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Well, welcome to the Luke Messias Show. I am joined here by the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, James Dickey. Mr. Dickey, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with us today. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Well, I wanted to start out our conversation today just, uh, you know, a lot of people, I don't know uh, if they know your entire background and story and what has you uh, spending your time serving the Republican Party and serving the delegates and serving serving you know our state in this capacity. So would you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about what got you involved in the fight here in Texas? Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, I'd cared about politics for a long time, but like a lot of people, a lot of conservatives in particular, I'd just gotten focused on my family and my business. Mm-hmm. And then the 2008 primary came to Texas, and by the time the presidential got to Texas, the choice was McCain or McCain, and uh, and that frustrated me. Yeah. And so I, uh, I I voted at the last minute on election day, and my precinct chair happened to be there running the election as election judge. And he said, hey, if you'd like, stick around for a few minutes and join in on a precinct convention. I, I thought that sounded great, so mm-hmm. I participated in the precinct convention. And then we all went to the Senate District Convention, and Denton County is a you know heavily Democrat, mm-hmm. heavily Republican district. Yep. Um, and so it was a big, vibrant precinct convention. And then we went to the state convention, and at the state convention, it was a presidential year, and mm-hmm. so there was an election to become delegates to the national convention, and I was elected an alternate delegate to the national convention. Wow. And so in a in a very quick. Uh, process of a very yeah. quick succession was able to see at multiple levels how the how the inner workings of the party work mm-hmm. and really got inspired to to get involved and make a difference and then I got uh, active um, you know as everybody knows President Obama was elected mm-hmm. and that was and immediately went to work on Obamacare and that mm-hmm. was frustrating and disappointing and so a lot of us were inspired by that to get moving so mm-hmm. Became active in uh, Dallas in the Dallas Tea Party and mm-hmm. um, got to know a lot of folks. And then moved to Austin to start mm-hmm. a company with a friend here, and um, and once again got involved. Started became a precinct chair and then became a county chair. And mm-hmm. and then uh, when my predecessor resigned, I I, I was concerned that the mm-hmm. the person that was going to run for it had not been a county chair in a large county yep. and wasn't familiar with the laws around how you run a primary and and all of the all of those issues. And so um, I felt motivated to step up and run and it's been a, it's been a fantastic 10 years of at all levels of the Republican Party of Texas getting to know people and helping work together to make a difference. So I think this is a really cool testimony just to take a step back. I mean, what does it say about the Republican Party that somebody who is reluctant to even vote in the primary can within correct me if I'm wrong, a 90-day period of time, vote, 
participate in their precinct convention, attend their county convention, attend the state convention, and get to attend the National Republican Convention. You know, uh, I, I just think that is an incredible testimony to, one, how open our party is and how low the barriers of entry are to somebody trying to make a difference. Does that make sense? I mean, I feel Absolutely. like there are so many activists out there who think that in order to get there, it would be 10 years and thousands of hours. But what I mean, what what does that say about the people of even Denton County at the time that they were willing to support you and and recognize passion and, and you know, engage in that way? Oh, no question. Everyone there was super supportive. And it was it was a great thing. And it's been one of the messages I've I've passed on to my kids. My older two mm -hmm. are in their early 20s, and uh, we have a daughter who's 14. And my message to them is, see, look, uh, with, mm. with, with a little effort and energy and passion, you can make a big impact on an important organization in a, in a short period of time, if you're willing to work with people and work together, and, and if you care, and if you mm -hmm. have something to offer. So what are, are, are there, when you're out around the state talking to different activists and people, are there a handful of things that you just encourage people to do to take their activism to the next level? Oh, absolutely. Right now, in fact, one of the things that I'm, I'm encouraging folks to do is take concrete steps to make a difference wherever you are. And everyone in Texas, especially if, it, if we're paying attention at all to last year's election results, and I certainly hope everyone is. Yep that uh, there is work that we all need to do wherever we are. Mm -hmm. So the, the rural counties completely saved our statewide elected officials. Yeah. Um, but in every one of those areas, we can't take anything for granted. And we need, you know, if they were at 80%, we need to increase it to 85 because mm -hmm. we need all the help we can get. In the urban and suburban areas, we need more. We need, uh, we need to be reaching out to, we need to be recruiting candidates. We need people to run. We need people to support those, uh, whether it be financially or with time or with energy or with volunteer effort. There is a positive thing that everyone in Texas can do at every level, even if it's as simple as go get trained to be a deputy voter registrar and start making sure your friends and family and neighbors are registered to vote. Yep. That, that is an important thing to do. And if you don't have the time to do that, we, we, we're working to enable it to make, to enable people so that it's even easier for them to be involved. So if they don't have time to go get trained as a deputy voter or registrar and don't want to have to do mm -hmm. the follow-up, then we've set up a system where if they will just tell their friends and neighbors who are not registered to, to, to text TX vote hmm. to 72,000, if they will tell their friends and neighbors, text TX vote to 72,000, that will get their friends and neighbors on the process for getting registered. Got and it. we need to do that. We need another million Republicans to turn out mm -hmm. next election in Texas. It's a giant lift, but we have the people. Yes. We just need to activate them and encourage them. And, and I, I am thrilled that uh, every time I see someone who, who gets it, that they yep. can make an impact. So I do want to get on to the 2018 elections and some of the things that go into there. Uh, before we do, though, I wanted to ask you a question. I mean, I think I, I one of the reasons that I'm incredibly supportive of you as my chairman, right? I'm a delegate uh, to the state convention. I, I voted for you, and um, and I was proud to support you from, from the beginning. But one of the reasons I've been proud to support you is because you are somebody who has come from 
you know, pure activist in 2008. And I think that, that gives you a unique perspective. Even your frustration with the Republican Party, I think, gives you a unique perspective. So a lot of individuals in Texas might, and you hear this often, I think you hear it more and more, is, you know, I'm conservative, but I'm a reluctant Republican. So as the chairman of the Republican Party, what do you say to those people who are definitely in opposition to the left, definitely in opposition to what they're doing, but sometimes are more reluctant or less enthused about the Republican Party? I think having you as the head gives should give them a lot of encouragement, but what, is, what are some of the things you tell those people? Well, my approach to to the party and to all of the things we do is that it should be additive right yep. so if if what you if you don't like the way your county party is operating or you don't like the way your legislators are are operating I suggest get in and add to the solution. Mm -hmm. So if you think there ought to be more active precinct chairs in your area, well, go recruit some active yeah. precinct chairs or be one even better yeah. yet. Um, so absolutely, you know, be the change you're looking for. Right? I, I had some representatives um, give uh, who who weren't focused on the future. Uh, give me some uh, give me some flack for who I was accepting donations from, and my my response yeah. is well. You know, if you don't like that they're giving donations, the answer is not for the party to start turning away donations. Yep. The answer is go get someone else to add more. Yep. And 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 then we'll all be one big happy family, as we should. Absolutely. I tell I tell my clients, you know, you should take Planned Parenthood's money if they'll give it, and then uh, we'll use it to try to pass more pro-life reforms. We just haven't found any Planned Parenthood official or PAC willing to write the check, unfortunately. So uh, there are some limitations sometimes. But let's let's move on to 2018. So so my question for you is, you know, where is the Republican Party of Texas? post 2018, right? Looking back, sure. hindsight's always 2020. Where are we post 2018? And then my second question to that, and I'd like maybe the answer to that one before we move on to the second one, but tell me about the people that we wanted to vote in 2018 that didn't vote. So sure. where are we? And then let's spend a little, at least a little bit of time talking about that group of people. So there's a presentation that I've been given to giving to the Republican National Committee, to donors uh, across country and in the state, and now I'm giving it to county chairs and SRC members mm -hmm. and activists around the state. In fact, I'll be giving it uh, uh, to Liberty County, the Republican Party tonight. And awesome. I'm very excited about that. But the first slide of that says, you know, just looking back at 2018, we have some things that were good. We, in the party, we raised 65% more in 2018 than we had done in the five years before that. Okay. We raised and you over 65%, 65% okay. more. Um, in our victory effort, we raised over $4 million, which was over 100% more than we had done in 2012 and 2016, and again, over 65% more than we had done in 2014. So we, we accomplished some good things, and for the 12th time in a row, we won every single statewide elected office. That's a huge accomplishment that cannot be taken for granted and we should appreciate. Those are good things. And yet, even with all of that, even with being better on the fundraising, being better on the victory effort, and the victory effort not only shows better fundraising, but also shows better working together, because the victory effort is absolutely a team effort of all Republicans on the ballot across the state. And so even though we did those things, we lost 
two congressional seats. We yep. lost two state Senate seats. We lost 12 state House seats. Mm-hmm. And in the in the suburban, urban suburban districts, we lost 31 of 32 appellate court seats. Mm. And that 32nd, the only reason we didn't win that one, we didn't lose that one is they didn't have someone running in that one. Mm. And so that's a giant warning that we yeah. absolutely, those are losses that are painful, losses yep. that are gonna hurt us for a while, and, and things that we absolutely do not take for granted, do not take lightly. So going into 2020, um, we absolutely know that we have we have giant challenges and that um, incremental improvements, which mm-hmm. 65% is a giant improvement, but still it's not a multiplier. It's not yep. it's not an increase of 4x or 5x. Yep. Um, we have got to do better, especially knowing that during 2017 and 18, we had the Abbott campaign doing significant investments in field work yep. that wasn't just for his own effort. A lot of that field work went to try to help House members, mm-hmm. went to try to help people um, other than the Abbott campaign to to the governor's credit. Yep. I'm glad he did that. Yep. But he's not on the ballot in 20, and we now at the party need to replicate that effort. So that's a that, that is a giant thing in front of us that we know we need to do for, for 2020. So it's interesting that you bring that up because that was actually one of the things I had written down that I wanted to ask you about because anybody who was actively working campaigns this last election cycle would know that your ground game operations were basically Governor Abbott. Yep. And any other local campaign. So if you were running your own state house or state senator congressional election, you might have had your own operations. Right. And then it was Governor Abbott. So outside of that, none of the other statewide elected officials and and right. it, to to the extent that the party didn't have a significant field or ground program, is that one of the things that you you just mentioned changing. So can you maybe just expound sure. a little bit upon, upon yeah. that? Yeah. So to give a feel, the uh, the Abbott campaign worked up to 140 people on the ground across the state over yep. the course of the two-year period. The plan, the, and conversely, at the, at the state, we had a combined with the state and the RNC. Um, together, we put out eight Field staff, so yeah. dramatically different. Yes, um, the uh, Senator Cruz, I believe, by the end of his campaign, had something like nineteen mm-hmm. uh, staffers out. Um, conversely, the the very last report showed the Beto campaign had something like eight hundred. Yeah. Um, yep. So while we may not uh, we may not ever meet that eight hundred paid field staff that uh, the the Beto team did. We've got to find a way to replicate or replace or um, mm-hmm. ma- help make up for the absence of those 140 uh, field staffers that Governor Abbott had. So the plan that I've been pitching as mm-hmm. I have been going out and doing fundraising is for the party to have 50 paid field staff this year. Got it. Across the state. And that's that would work us towards that yes. 140 kind of number by the, yep. by the end of next year. And we're going to work very closely with... Uh, the Trump campaign, the RNC, the Corning campaign, mm-hmm. you know, who, whoever else are our general election, whoever are our general election candidates, we'll be working very closely with them to to leverage everything they're doing, but also to to help augment and offset the the absence of the that great Abbott campaign. For listeners, I know that at the end of the day, we don't care where you register people, right? Any conservative in the great state of Texas uh, needs to be engaged. And and you mentioned even the realities that the rural areas are really what saved Texas. But 
if if the average person in Texas is wondering where is the real battleground, right? Where is right. all the action happening? What are the communities that you see as the main battlegrounds throughout Texas? Absolutely, the battle, the obvious battlegrounds are the suburban communities yep. in Texas, and so. Um, for far too long, we've completely ceded the urban areas in mm. Texas, and as a result, the Democrats were able to use that as a stronghold and build out. Yep. And as naturally as population has flowed into those areas, and as those have been the, the highest growing areas of the state, um, that has given Democrats a base from which to work. And so we are, we are going to provide, with party, are going to provide a lot of tools and methods to help and training to help the rural communities to to continue to be a uh, to be a strong base of support for us. Uh, but a bunch of the field work is going to be happening in urban suburban areas. So, for example, a surprising number of Williamson County, Hayes County, uh, those turned against us in this last election, and it cost us. Uh, those two alone cost us several house seats. Uh, of the 12 that we lost, uh, three of them were just in those two counties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same with Tarrant County. Senator yep. Cruz actually lost Tarrant County for the first time yep. in quite a long time. Uh, but Collin County and Denton County, you know, had losses that yep. people didn't expect to see and that we're going to have to work to prevent repeating. I know Williamson County was also kind of in the same situation, right? Just Absolutely. North of, of the Austin area as well. Absolutely. Um, so, so let's get into fundraising because you've mentioned even here a lot of your conversations and meetings with donors. And uh, yeah. I will let the listeners know here that uh, you we had to delay this just a few minutes because you were on fundraising phone calls, right? So That's right. I'll at least give you uh, you know credit for that uh, and something that I have, have no problems uh, being delayed for. So one of the common criticisms I've heard of, of you and other chairman in the past is, oh, well, they're just not fundraising, right? And this is something that, truthfully, if you take a step back and look at the last 10, 15 years of politics in Texas, that it tends to be the criticism. If you are a very conservative Republican Party chairman, sure. then you're also really bad at fundraising. That's just generally the the right. critical line. And, um, and so there's this narrative that people tend to drive that says you need to have kind of a middle of the road person who doesn't stand strong with the platform in order to raise money for the party. I think you have proven that not to be the case. Uh, and you mentioned that here with the hundred percent more with the victory fundraising efforts yep. and 65% more with the party efforts. But talk to me a little bit about the state's fundraising. How much of that is even your time day to day and sure. what kind of success are you seeing? So we've set up a process. So first of all, I came on full time as of January 1st, Yep. Uh, and so I now the party now has a right to demand of me primacy in all of my activities. Yep. And so every trip that I go on now, I don't have to worry about how fast I get back. I can worry about which donors can I see while I'm on that trip. Got it. Uh, and that's been very helpful. Talking to the staff, we we now have it set up so that I'm doing a minimum of five hours a week on the phone. Uh, and we are tracking and reporting on that calls. Um, I, uh, I I am inspired by the example of uh, Ronna McDaniel, who uh, who is the chairwoman at the RNC. Yep. And while I've been on the RNC for the last year and a half, over that year and a half, she spent uh, she spent almost 500 hours on the phone, and it pays off. It does matter. Wow. And uh, and that works out to about an hour a day or about five hours a week. 
And, uh, and so I, you know, I've already told my staff that will be a mandate for, I need to average that, uh, as we're doing and it works, uh, it, you know, there's, it's just straightforward. You, you need to make calls. You need to, you need to present a plan people can believe in. You need to, uh, show that you've got an operation that mm-hmm. is quality and we've been doing that. And as we do that, that inspires uh, donors who believe in and benefit from the great leadership and the great policies that we have had here that, you know, it's our effort to make even better uh, while the Democrats are preaching all sorts of crazy. We um, Capital Inside just wrote an article, I think yesterday or day before, uh, talking about all these various business interests that we're all sponsoring the recent Texas Democrat Party reception. Um, and, uh, you know, it's companies like USAA and AT&T, I think, has been supportive of their convention in the past and people like that. And talking about some of these business interests within yep. Austin trade associations that are uh, maybe starting to become more comfortable with the Democrat Party um, and whether or not that's showing their potential desire to see, you know, that wave continue. Um, and I know there's been a lot of speculation Now, some of these companies support both parties, right? Because they're just trying to represent their their businesses, right? Their association, sure. their members. Um, what has your success been with the, you know, more established Austin entities and interests? How do you feel like they've been receptive to the Republican Party in general? Well, no question there was uh, there was a period where they felt like they could and should pull back from the party. Yep. Uh, as elected officials in the state have made it clear that, you know, we're all yep. Republicans and yep. this is a team sport and they all yep. benefit when the party is supported well. Uh, we we just got uh, a sponsorship for our legislative dinner from the Texas Association of Business mm-hmm. um, just a couple of days ago. And uh, that's an association that, you know, I'm happy to have back supporting the party. Yeah, uh, we've got uh, some other uh, some other corporations who had taken a little bit of a hiatus, and I'm mm-hmm. glad to have them back in the fold as well. And and as I said, you know, my message is always more is better. If you yeah. if you want to see something different or you want to see something better with the party, the answer is get involved, make a difference. And you can't do that if you don't have a seat at the table. And yep. for those entities, you know, that seat at the table is, includes supporting the party. So a lot of people made speculation during the last convention about AT&T not supporting the party because they, um, you know, didn't support the more social conservative uh, platform and policies that uh, Republicans have traditionally supported. And I don't think they ever came out and refuted. I think they didn't refute the claim. Right. Um, But I think privately they took issue with the claim um, and they were big supporters of the Democrat convention. Have they since, I mean, they're, they're a large employer here in Texas, and I think activists and delegates and conservatives in Texas would love to know. I mean, it, have, have they been supportive of the party over the last six months at all? Have they come back yet? Not yet. Uh, I, I do fully expect and, and plan that they will. Yeah. Uh, I think, frankly, I, I took great pride in the fact that a significant past sponsor yep. that we were able to more than offset the fact that they had fallen off. And in yep. fact, for last year's convention, you know, fully funded a 1.6 million convention. It was a record uh, yep. for the convention and fully funded that even in the absence of a con- of a prior significant contributor yep. like them. But I do think it's, you know, it is not an insignificant thing for a corporation that significant yep. 
in Texas to say, we want to be the top sponsor for the Democrat Party's convention, but we have no concern about not at all even participating in the Republican Party's yeah. convention. Um, I, I don't think that's a message that uh, should stay the case. And I look forward to having them back in the fold and being able to say, no, they, they support us fully as well. Um, no, and I think that is also a testimony to you know, conservatives in Texas that they rose to the occasion, right, and made sure that the convention was funded regardless. Now, there, that gets us to one other thing regarding fundraising, and we'll be able to move on from there. But uh, there were some accusations made during the last state convention, and there was a little bit of a heated race um, against you. And there was an individual that stood up and made accusations from a microphone that you were cooking the books, that there was financial malfeasance within the party and, yep. and all these other things. I think most people saw that as kind of a desperate last minute Hail Mary pass um, to try to, uh, you know, take the chair. Right. And so uh, I don't think most delegates have followed up that story. So can you fill everybody in with the actions taken and what where we are today? Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, during the during the campaign, I I told my wife, it's shocking what you learn about yourself in any given campaign. It's always it's a, a joy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it it is a joy. Um, uh, and and to that end, it's it's a lot easier, frankly, as the candidate to accept those uh, flaming arrows that come at you than it is for the family of the candidate. And so I I. I my wife and kids, I, I have great appreciation for the, uh, uh, for the slings and arrows that they took and, and put up with for me to be able to serve. The, um, yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. It made front, the accusations made front page news, and the accusations were, to be very specific, that we were, uh, we were lying uh, about the cash on hand that the can the convention was not fully funded, and that we were lying about the fundraising that we had been doing, and so at those the end, those are pretty, those are direct lies. Those I are, mean, I mean, not direct lies, but direct accusations. I mean, direct those are, those accusations. Are, yeah, yeah, they were. They, they, they were, were not just plain, masked. No, not not in any way. There was there was no sugar coating those mm -hmm. accusations. They were they were pretty big. Pretty brutal and pretty specific. Yep. Uh, the good news is because they're specific, they're pretty easy to answer whether they're true or not. Yes, sir. And so at every convention, at the close of every convention, there's an immediate SRC meeting of the yep. newly elected SRC. And at that meeting, one of the first things I did was request approval from the SRC to spend the extra money necessary to do an extra audit. And I say extra audit because in case anybody didn't know, I'd, I had been chair since um, June of 2017. Yep. And every year the party has an audit done. So there had already in March been completed an audit that had already run through December 31st. Got it. And so that full audit had had already said yes. that our books and, and that audit had already been released to the SRC and had already said that there was literally nothing wrong. And yes. uh, for, for anybody who's been around audits very much, um, especially post Enron, audit firms like to like to couch their words a mm -hmm. lot because mm -hmm. they they because they, um, uh, Enron's auditor got in a lot of trouble for not having done so. Yep. Um, and our audit had no couching. It it said everything's perfect. Mm. Um, and yet, I, I asked that the SREC approve a, a, an extra funds for an extra audit to prove or disprove those claims. They're, they're either true or not. 
and they they approved that expense and and approved that we followed the normal process and so and this is a little inside baseball but the way the normal process works for an audit so that it is arm's length the national committee man and the national committee woman who are each completely separately elected from me as the chair and anybody else in the party they appoint three members of an audit committee from the SREC. Yep. The SREC, all completely separately elected. And that audit committee then chooses the audit firm that they want to work with, and they also direct the audit firm on what they want the direction to be. And so that audit committee, so Tony Andeshiel and Robin Armstrong, our national committee man yep. and woman, they picked three members of the SRC, and they, they went with uh, Tom Rollins, uh, who's, who's, from, uh, who's up from Amarillo, yes, and we had, we had uh, Chuck Branch from, uh, um, from Plano, and I'm drawing a blank on who the third member of the committee was. But it's they, okay. they picked a— Texans have problems with that third yeah, issue. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but they, uh, they they picked that audit committee. That audit committee picked that we, we stick with the auditor who had been doing our stuff, both because they had been doing our stuff and because it's the same audit committee that the RNC uses. Yep. So it's a very credible uh, audit firm that knows their stuff. And they charge them with specifically answering those three questions. Is it true? You know, were the cash numbers reported correct? Yep. Were the was the convention paid for, and were the fundraising numbers correct? Mm-hmm. And that audit committee went to work. Uh, that was as of June. Uh, they went to work, and at our December meeting, yep. they were able to report that uh, the convention was fully funded. Yep. The fundraising numbers. Now they only sampled like ninety-five percent of the fundraising numbers, but uh, every single sam- every single item they sampled in their audit. Um, was exactly correct on all the fundraising numbers. So the fundraising numbers are all correct. And then they checked every cash balance. And when I say every cash balance, because of the way the party works and because of federal election laws and state election laws and corporate fundraising rules and all that, uh, we actually have something like 16 different bank accounts. And we get those statements every single month. So they checked every one of those 16 bank accounts for every month for the first six months of this year, because that's when the accusation mm-hmm. was, was in June. And there was one bank account one month where we underreported a dollar and 20 cents. There was no other time when any number was, was reported at all incorrectly. And there was never a time when any money was underreported. Yep. We, we actually, or was overreported, right? We never inflated the cash. The cash was now the way. Unfortunately, the way news works. Yep. Um, it was front page news. The accusations were front page news. And the, the fact that the accusations were proven a hundred percent by an independent outside audit firm, selected by others and set up by others and instructed by others, uh, never made news at all, much less front page news. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's very unfortunate. And thank you for clearing that up. I think I think other people will be happy to hear um, those reports. So moving into the legislative session. Uh, one of the things I think that is remarkable about your you and your leadership is that even when you were Travis County GOP chair, um, you know you understood that one of the biggest motivators to people being involved in the party is the policy that they want to advance, right? Sure. And so um, 
you were down in the Capitol. You spent time testifying and reminding legislators these are the priorities of the Republican Party, right? We have a platform that's, yep. that's pretty direct, and it speaks to different policy issues, and it's the idea that these are what we believe as a party, right? And Correct. so um, we're in a legislative session, and I think one of the reasons that so many people support you is that you actually see the platform as something that the party should continue to champion during the legislative session and not be quiet about. So can you speak to just what we're doing this session? I know several SREC members that are on the legislative committee and they're down there in the Capitol, they're walking yep. the halls, they're talking to legislators. So just talk to people a little bit about what's the party doing to make sure that the platform is not just something that everybody feels good about at the end of convention, but something that causes the party to take action during the session. Absolutely. One, one of the consistent messages that I'm working to deliver to our legislators is that, you know, we face giant challenges in the 2020 election. In order to have the best chance possible in the 2020 election, we need wins to point to, differentiators to point to during that campaign so that we can get people reelected. Yep. And that absolutely is the goal of the party, but the but it is a virtuous cycle. The party exists to get people elected so they can pass policy that will then get people elected. Mm -hmm. it, it is very much a virtuous cycle. And uh, I have been consistent in delivering that message to the folks. So I met with the House caucus. I'll be meeting with the Senate caucus. I'm meeting individually with mm -hmm. members of both chambers. And you know, bet between them, we've got uh, you know, we've got almost a hundred or over a hundred members uh, of the two chambers to meet with. Um, I met with the speaker uh, mm -hmm. and several other members of the of the House last week. Uh, in all of those conversations. The, the question is, how can we help you get past the policy wins that will differentiate us and yep. earn you support from voters for re-election? And part of how we do that is making sure we've got the folks who can show up and testify to support bills that yep. we uh, that we help spread the word. And so we're uh, we've organized this uh, stat the stat group strategic Texas activist team, and people can sign up for that on our website at texasgop.org slash stat. Okay. And they, they indicate which issues they care the most about. And when we're in an urgent scenario mm -hmm. on one of those issues, or as we have things to update them on on one of those issues, we'll let them know about what's going on and how they can help. And whether it's calling their legislator to say, hey, this bill I sure hope you'll mm -hmm. support, or showing up to testify, uh, it is my intention to show up multiple times this session to testify, especially as the most important bills get, get into the most important part of the committee process um, that we support with the full weight of the party um, getting past good policy so that we've got reason for people to vote for us. I feel like... Uh there are some, uh, you know, just legislators and elected officials who take 2018, and uh, it has definitely instilled a significant amount of fear, and, and, and that's a natural reaction, you know, sure. to a state that gets a lot closer, but um, I, I sometimes feel like you're seeing a pendulum swing, uh, which we tend to be, you know, one, uh, one extreme or the other, but just in conversations with legislators and stuff, it, it seems like any potential policy is, well, what, what do you think suburban voters will think about this? And I'm like, well, you know, honestly, they might not think at all about this. I mean, the reality is that we know there are a handful of policy issues that will dominate 
these the psyche and the mental capacity of individual voters, right? And some of those right. will be federal issues, and Trump will be on the ballot, and there will be federal things. And then on Texas, it's probably going to be very limited to you know public education policy and property taxes. And right. that, in some way, frees up conservatives to say, if we want to pass deregulating certain businesses and, and allowing small businesses more freedom, if we want to cap government spending and population inflation and all these other things that are on the Republican Party platform, I, I don't know that urban, suburban, or rural voters will be walking into the legislative session thinking, hey, was the spending cap passed or, or not, you know, on a, on a statewide right. uh, spending reform, or were there some budget reforms passed? They probably won't know. So I think there's an important opportunity we have to pass major pieces of legislation like property tax reform, which I'm sure you're Absolutely. excited about because it's re yes. reflective of the Republican Party platform, and you actually, which is um, for some reason, a rare thing, but you, you have all three of our main statewide officials all getting excited about this, right? Yeah. So that's really encouraging for Republicans. But I think there's also opportunities to say there are, you can go through the list of Republican um, principles and ideas and policy initiatives, and there are some that you can pass that probably won't have an effect on whether or not the vote goes our way in November, but will have an effect on whether or not we governed in a conservative manner this session. Well, and not only that, but will we will our base have the excitement to turn out to do the yes. work necessary that yes. we that we need? I mean, in in the election, the messaging has to be this complex mix of does it differentiate us from Democrats and does it motivate voters and yep. does it resonate with them? And and so those messaging things will be few. You know, one that we know will differentiate us and will resonate and does matter and will yep. compel someone. To to show up and, and yep. vote is will we have reduced property taxes or not? Yes, uh, and that's why that's one of our legislative priorities. But that you know that absolutely is a compelling thing. Um, some of the other stuff that we have to do, you know, I, I it, everybody's made it clear they they we have to do something on school finance. Yep. Yes, we have to. But does it differentiate us? You know, or does it just uh, make sure that that does not become an issue that beats us up next mm -hmm. next session. Well, that you know that's a necessary thing to do too. Mm -hmm. But what else can we do that guarantees that our our folks turn out? So that that brings up an interesting point. But if if you are the spokesman of the Republican Party and the average middle of the road independent right of center Texan in a suburban area comes to you, what are the main issues that you're talking about to say this is what makes us the party? that represents you, and this is what makes us the party that you want to be governing your state. Right, so the the messaging has been consistent that conservative policies that have yielded less regulation, less government interference, less taxes, is why the economy is booming in Texas. It's why so many of us moved here. It's why we have great opportunity and freedom and low unemployment and why why everyone is benefiting here. And And do you want more of that or do you want some insiders in government picking winners and losers mm. and and manipulating the outcome because we've seen what that happens in other states uh, how that happens in other states and what mm -hmm. happens when they do and it's not good we don't need to turn into this century's chicago hmm. so you got involved in 2008 um and you know you've come so far just since your your initial decision to attend a precinct convention are there any people politically 
either current or former that you look up to, that you respect, that you even try to model yourself after at all? Sure. I I very much respected the way that uh, Steve Munisteri operated as chair. Mm. Uh, he did a good job financially for the cha- for the party, you know, helping yep. rescue the party from you know significant dire problems. Yep. Uh, but also, when he ran the meetings, it was obvious that everyone was welcome to participate mm-hmm. and everyone was welcome to give their input, mm-hmm. and that's. That's just an environment and an atmosphere yep. that is positive, and and that's that's my belief of what that's the function the party serves is getting everybody together and then being that avenue for people to express their concerns and priorities and issues, and you know that's why we have the platform, that's why we that's why we have our conventions so people can do that, and I, I really do admire and respect that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited about Steve coming back to Texas and getting yep. a chance to work with him even more closely than I was able to do at the White House. And for those of those people who don't know, uh, you know Steve Mysterious coming back to work with uh, our U.S. Senator John Cornyn. He'll be running for re-election in 2020 yep. and really at the top of the ticket outside of our president, right? And, and he will uh, likely be largely driving um, that main narrative for our state. So having Steve at, at, at heavily involved, right, in that right. organization is something that we can all be pretty excited about. Absolutely. Definitely. Is there something, t- tell us something, or, or tell the you know delegates, the activists in Texas, tell them something about you that we might not know on a, on a personal level, or you know you're actually secretly a New England Patriots fan, or <laughs> Los Angeles Lakers, no, or Cowboys. I, okay. I, I am a Cowboys fan, always was, even even paid to go to a game the year they went one in sixteen. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, that was back in '89. That was pretty ugly. Uh, but yeah, sorry. Uh, but uh, no, uh, well, I guess the 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 big thing that is there's the biggest thing in my life that most people don't know uh, is that um, my brother is profoundly deaf, and my son has some hearing loss as well. Mm. Um, and so I'm uh, I'm a little bit rusty, but. Uh, Am uh, am pretty good with sign language and really? very sensitive to making sure that we as a party do things that are welcoming and encouraging to all. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, you mentioned to me earlier that the party itself has been starting a podcast or launching a podcast. So can you just tell people real quick about how they engage with that? Or is, are all those platforms out or is that yet to come? No, uh, they are. Uh, we started with uh, my monthly update, which I've been doing for yes. a while now. Uh, we just recorded our first video monthly update. Awesome. And then, yes, we are we are getting ready our first couple of episodes I want to be sure we've got three or four episodes in the can before we before we put it out. You're more but we're going to do a, a video and an audio podcast, and I'm I'm very excited about. Awesome, that. and those those will be on all platforms: iTunes, Absolutely. Google, yeah. YouTube, Stitcher, the whole shebang. Yeah. Done, done. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Chairman, I cannot thank you enough for your willingness to sit down and talk to us. It's encouraging. I think conservatives in general um, should be encouraged that we have a strong voice on the state party level, but also that we've. We're in the process of planning how to keep this state red because that's not going to be an easy thing, and it's not a guaranteed um, outcome if we don't put in the effort to do so. Is there anything you want to leave people with, action items, things they can do? 
Yes, um, absolutely. The message I've been communicating to everyone is Texas cannot be taken for granted. If if it ever could have, it certainly cannot mm-hmm. now. And so let's all be let's all be as informed as we can. Let's all get to work as quickly as we can. And for everybody listening, if you would like to know um, what is being said by and about your elected Republicans in Texas, then subscribe to our daily news service. It's a daily news clipping of everything being said by and about our our elected Republicans in Texas. And to subscribe, you just text TX News to seventy two thousand. That's T X N E W S to the number 72,000. If you do that, we'll make sure to get you on the list. We'll get you informed. You'll start getting that daily uh, that daily update, and then we'll also be able to inform you about other important stuff. Please, uh, it's a easy, easy first step. Awesome, awesome. Chairman, thank you for your time. Thank you. That was a great conversation. And again, I, I, I go back to the start of the conversation, but I love the fact that in 2008, James Dickey was not even sure if he was going to vote in the Republican primary because he didn't like that he didn't have a conservative option on the ballot for president. And he decides, okay, fine, I'm going to go vote. And some guy goes, hey, do you want to come to a precinct convention? And 10 years later, he's the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, running a statewide organization that sole, whose sole mission is to advance the conservative platform ideas of the Republican Party and elect more conservative individuals over a more liberal opposition. And so I just think that's a tremendous testimony to what the grassroots do here in Texas and the ability you have to make a change in such a short time. I mean, Raz, you, some people don't know your full background, but you and I both, you know, were not involved at a time. And within then a very short period of time, found ourselves having a pretty big impact within uh, the political process. So I just think James's story should be encouraging for most conservatives. I feel like that's exactly how the party's supposed to work, right? I mean, we, we want to see, yep. we want to be bringing in new blood, new perspectives, and people have have a new excitement. Because I, I feel like when we see some people that have been involved for a really, really long time, there's some mission creep and a little bit of enthusiasm drop off. We need to be bringing in new people and activating them. And, and I think this is a really cool story to have that that's shared that, uh, that I didn't even know the depth of. I, I wasn't aware of how quick that had happened and how much he put in in that short amount of time. But wow, it, that's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a real testimony. It's a real testimony. Again, just want to remind everybody who our sponsor is, patriotacademy.com. You heard a lot about them at the start, but if you have not heard about Patriot Academy, please go there, look at what they're doing. If It, it doesn't matter if you want to go. I'll tell you, I know personal testimonies of young people who are serving in the Capitol right now as legislative directors who only went because their grandpa signed them up for Patriot Academy. I mean, I'm not kidding. These people showed up and go, (laughs) I don't know, my grandpa paid for me to come here and I'm not really interested. And then a week later, they're going, oh my gosh, what can I do to save my country? And now they're full-time working in the political process. So do look at it. If you don't know somebody who you want to directly send, go to patriotacademy.com, consider supporting their efforts. Raz and I are longtime supporters of their organization and will continue to be because we see the impact that it has you know, on our nation. And uh, Raz, I know we're now three episodes into this. I mean, thank you so much for being involved, but also it's kind of encouraging just the impact we've had in, in a short period of time. It's been exciting. You know, when you, in this whole podcasting world, it's very much a meritocracy. You get some good content out there and yep. people start sharing it. And it was really cool. I mean, congratulations with the first episode of Out of the Gate, getting the kind of 
uh, notoriety. I mean, you know, the goal is to get that story out there, right? That's yeah. that's critically important, and most people don't know about it. So if you haven't, if you're just coming in on episode three, go back and listen to that first that first episode, looking at the, the situation that the, the James and his his folks are facing. It's it's an incredible story, and we need to do something to make sure these kids are protected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everyone who listened. Thank you for supporting uh, our show. And uh, just a reminder, um, you know, subscribe to the show. Raz um, is is somebody who you should all be following because he's got incredibly helpful content. Raz, how can people uh, how can people follow you and, and where can they find out more about you? So they can find out more about our coaching, the candidate training programs, and the podcast, the How to Run for Office podcast at mycampaigncoach.com. You can reach out to me directly at raz.us is my website, and I look forward to talking to you guys offline. Awesome. And thank you so much for listening, guys, and uh, have a wonderful day. God bless. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit LukeMessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.